It's wonderful to be back after uh, a little time away. Thank you so much for your prayers. And uh, you'll see from Revival Times at least one of the nations I've been, which I'm free to talk about, Libya. And uh, there's a little report for you in the Revival Times. So greetings from the church in Libya. They celebrated 50 years, this particular church, of, uh, their, um, of their existence. And uh, so I was able to go in, very warmly received by everybody. And um, so they sending their greetings back. And also thank you so much for allowing us to minister to them in the way you did financially. So they uh, send, send back their greetings. Some other nations also, which... Um, I may or may not have been to, not so freely able to talk about, but somewhere in the North African regions. And uh, do continue to pray for North Africa. Great things are happening. In Tunisia, for example, it's good to see how local people are saying, we don't want kind of uh, heavy religious government. We, we want to be able to choose our own destinies. That's great. Pray for Egypt, um, as we know that... Uh, the results of the presidential election are going to be formally declared today and uh, need to pray that uh, in that nation there will also be development towards freedom of religion and expression and so on. Great news that I hear coming from uh, Algeria. In Algeria apparently uh, a revival is taking place amongst the Kabili people and uh, 60,000 people have come to Christ. 60,000 former Muslims from the Berber tribes and the Kabili tribe open to Jesus, the real breakthrough. And um, the government has recognized um, the uh, existence of a Protestant church there, which these people are part. And so good things are happening. In fact, when I travel in some of those areas, two things are said to me constantly. One, thank you for the television programs. You support me in the television programs, the Sword of the Spirit, which is... Arabic subtitles broadcast to North Africa, the Middle East, and uh, television is so important for many of those people who can't get to hear about Jesus any other way, but uh, even new believers who uh, tune into television programs for their growth and, uh, and so on. So we've got to do more of them. Uh, and the second thing is the amazing stories of how people are coming to Christ all over North Africa, all over the Middle East, finding Jesus and how the, the churches and well gatherings of believers sharing with one another and building one another up. Continue to pray and God is answering our prayers. So thank you very much. I'm glad to, glad to go and glad to be back. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Just a little bit of the dust of Sahara in my, in my throat. So um, I'll be taking frequent sips of water. Uh, also, I'd like to say a big hello to everybody who is watching over there in the coronet. God bless you. Nice to, I'm going to say nice to see you. Can't say that because it's a lie. Not that it's nice to see you, but I can't see you. Therefore, I can't say it's nice to see you. Anyway, you know what I mean. Something's nice, okay, and it's you. All right. So great to have you with us today. 
also those watching behind me in the, in the overflow area and downstairs as well, not forgetting those faithful people watching online, either live right now in this live stream or receiving this message later. So God bless you wherever you are. We think of you and we pray for you and we know that God is with you. Amen. Amen. More dust. Talk amongst yourselves for a little while. Very good. Now, this morning, I'm starting a new series, which is going to be, <clears throat> going to be in, in uh, many, many ways, a different kind of approach, because I don't have several successive Sundays, so different visiting speakers are coming, and, and so on. So I'm going to take us into a general area. And uh, this over, the title is, is, generally speaking, Walking with God. Walking with God. And uh, this morning I'm going to talk about walking in love. Walking in love. Walking with God. And so there are many sermons that can come out of this. But I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse, verse 30. Ephesians 4 verse 30. And I'm going to read right until Ephesians 5 verse 2. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling sacrifice then uh, back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8 Genesis 3 and verse 8 says and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden you know one of the good things to do when you read the Bible is as well as studying it in its context and the grammar and so on is through Bible meditation use your imagination and try to see the significance of the words and the picture that comes to you and I was doing this with this verse and uh, my mind went back to my childhood uh, today might be a good day to be English. We'll let you know by the end of the, uh, by midnight, I guess. But I can't claim to be English because I was born in East Africa, brought up in Australia. So I'm British, but not English. Work that one out. All right. So in Australia, in my childhood, I have a memory 
of uh, living in a place called Kalgoorlie. Are there any people from Kalgoorlie in our service this morning? No, I don't, didn't think so. <laughs> Kalgoorlie is a gold mining town inland in Western Australia and it's several hundred miles north of a town called Esperance, a seaside town called Esperance, Esperance meaning hope. And Kalgoorlie is virtually on the edge of the desert and it gets very, very hot. And in the summer, it gets extremely hot. And at a certain time of the year, uh, it's so hot that you can't sleep. Now, I'm wondering why we didn't use air conditioning. Then I remember that it's about 50 years ago or something like that. And maybe air conditioning hadn't been invented by then, I don't know. Maybe only in America did they have air conditioning back then, I, can't, I don't know. But anyway, if they had it, we didn't. And if it was affordable, it wasn't affordable in our house. So we had our own system of staying cool. We would go out into the garden and we would sit and talk and have cool aid. And uh, that was when cool meant chilled as opposed to cool meaning cool or chilled meaning chilled. Never mind, I won't get into semantics today. But I remember we, would ha we had a, a, a vine growing, oh, grapes growing over a trellis and we would spray it with water. And when the water evaporates into the atmosphere, the scientists among us will tell us why it cooled down the latent heat, heat of vaporization and so on. So we had our own personalized, organic, exterior cooling system. And in the cool of this, we would sit and talk and tell stories. And, uh, uh, and uh, then something very special would happen at a certain time of the day the doctor would come. The doctor always made his call around 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. And all the households, all the people felt the doctor. You don't know what the doctor is. The doctor is not a person. The doctor is a sea breeze which had a cooling effect and it had medicinal effect. We'd say, oh, the doctor has arrived. And the doctor would come. And when the doctor would come, there'd be a breeze. It would be the sea breeze from Esperance reaching inland. And it still was cool. And it would just move the trees. There'd be a rustling in the trees. And we'd say, oh, shh, here comes the doctor. And we'd sit there uh, enjoying the cool, refreshing breeze from the doctor. In fact, I remember adult conversations over the garden fence. How are you doing, dear? I'm doing fine. You doing fine? Oh, it's so hot. Yes, dear, it's so hot. Do you know what? I'm going to wait for the doctor tonight. You going to bed? No, I'm staying up to wait for the doctor too. Okay, well, see you later, dear. And that's how it would go. That's my impersonation of an Australian accent. <laughs> Any Australians here? Oh, I see an Australian here, Brett. How did I do? Thank you very much. Uh, okay, 50% off tithes for the next week. <laughs> now, if he wants a blessing, I should say double tithes, shouldn't I? Anyway, so this is how it goes. And so that picture came back to my mind when I, when I see this, because what was it that Adam and Eve heard? They heard the sound of the Lord God 
walking in the garden in the cool of the day. See, every word in scripture is significant. The cool of the day was when the evening breeze begins to come. The sun is going down, you don't have the heat, and you have the cool evening breeze. And when the cool evening breeze blows, the wind moves the leaves of the trees and you hear a rustling, you hear a sound. And so this tells me that God's presence sounded like that. It was God coming by the wind of His Spirit, coming to manifest His presence, coming to fellowship in a special way with Adam and Eve, the first parents. And, and, and we know that because we are in Christ Jesus, God comes by His Spirit to fellowship with us. And He comes in special moments. He is always there. But there is a time and a moment when the wind of the Spirit blows through the trees of the garden of our soul and begins to say, come, I want to fellowship with you. I want to spend time. God, I am walking through the garden of your soul. Come, let us walk together. Now, Adam and Eve, on this occasion, and I kind of feel this was happening all the time, but on this occasion, something had changed. They had sinned and turned against God. So when they heard the sound of God coming and walking in the garden, they were afraid, and they ran away and hid in the trees. We don't want to meet with God. I'm afraid because I'm naked and I'm ashamed. God is going to condemn me. There's something wrong with me. And what a tragedy it is today that sometimes for many believers, the last place we ever go is to meet with God in the fellowship of the intimacy of our own secret place, the garden of our soul. And how do we hide? Sometimes we hide behind all the exterior acts of spirituality. How are you? I am blessed and highly favored. As somebody once said to me, I am best and highly flavored. Uh, I think they just weren't realizing what they were saying. And it's good to declare you're blessed and highly favored as well as being best and highly flavored. You just take whatever you want. And it's good to, to talk to one another about God. But when these things become just artificial means of communicating I'm okay spiritually don't you come near to me and the same with God yes God bless God praise God hallelujah double hallelujah on Sunday yes God thank you God lip service honoring you with my lips but the garden of my heart blocked how do we do it how do we keep God away one of the ways we keep God away is through noise Noise. As long as we're ha active and noisy, uh, we, uh, we, we don't realize that inside we're empty. And God says, I want you to still your heart, to be still and know that I am God. I want to commune with you in the secret place, the holy of holies of your own spirit, as you invite me to come in and fellowship with you and walk with you and talk with you. And be with you. Amen? And sometimes, you know, we, we, in, the, in the noise, we miss Him. Sometimes in the noise of services. I, I've been in some meetings at times, friends, when I think that both the preacher and the congregation believe more noise equals more anointing. 
And I'm even more anointed now because I am shouting now more than I was before. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Sometimes the most powerful encounters with God are in the moments when words would be intrusive and noise would be inappropriate. Thank God it's time to be noisy, to rejoice and praise God. And we're encouraged to do this as we approach God. In the Old Testament, Testament tabernacle of Moses, what does it say? I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Enter his courts with praise. And this is not quiet. This is like people celebrating at a football match. Or let's not talk about celebration and football till afterwards. It's okay. Most of the women laughing, but men, that was for you. <laughs> so there is, it's highly appropriate sometimes. But beyond the outer courts lie the inner courts. And the Holy of Holies, which corresponds to the depths of your human spirit, open up and filled with the glory of God's Spirit. When you hear the sound of the Lord God walking in your garden, be still and meet with Him there. And when you meet with Him there, He meets with you not for condemnation but for transformation. They were frightened of condemnation. But thank God there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. They had fear, but my Bible says in the New Testament, perfect love casts out fear. Amen. And God's perfect love has cast out fear, and we are perfected in God's perfect love. That's why we have no fear of judgment or condemnation. When we approach God and He's inviting us in the garden to join Him, it's because He has first qualified us for His presence. And so, this is the picture that I have as I want us to keep in our mind as we go through various topics and explore various ways of walking with God. Walking in love. Walking in the light. Walking in wisdom. Walking in truth. In fact, there's so much walking in the Bible that we can be here for many weeks talking about it. But what a picture of ongoing fellowship with God. And Ephesians talks to us, I believe, very clearly about walking in love. Now, if you're going to walk with God, you're going to walk in love. Because God is love. And because God's love casts out fear... This is where we must begin. We must begin. And my Bible reading started with do not grieve the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that has sealed us with the love of God. And if we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we will experience God's love more than ever before. And when, that, when we experience God's love in our lives, then God's love begins to shape our lives. And it's interesting that all this ugly, this is, there's a lot of ugly here. Do you see this? Let all bitterness. What is bitterness? Bitterness is ugly. Yes? 
Is bitterness beautiful? No. Ugly. Wrath. Anger. Ugly. Clamor. Ugly. Evil speaking. Ugly. 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 Malice. Ugly. It's not love. But when you are full of God's love, there is no room for any of these things. Amen. But Paul is writing to believers, spirit-filled, Bible-believing believers, not just make-believers. And yet he says, guys, why are you into all this stuff? This isn't walking in love. And, and this is where we must begin because as I said, God is love. And this is the highest expression of God's character. Amen. The highest expression. Because God's character is best described as love and has been demonstrated infallibly, irrefutably as love. God is the loving God because He is the giving and forgiving God. And if we're walking in love, we will be giving and forgiving people. Amen? And when, when you are forgiving somebody, you are actually acknowledging that they have done something against you. Amen? And when you know that and you are walking in love, you have a willingness to forgive. And you're, even when you are hurt and offended and sinned against, you still go on loving because love is of God and whoever loves is of God. Amen. You, even in the very act of being sinned against, you will remember Jesus who said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. One of the things that we must come to terms with is that many church-going, Bible-believing Christians don't behave like this. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to say, let's do something about it. And if we walk with God, we're going to walk with love. So if somebody is full of bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, evil speaking, malice, they're not walking with God. Is that right? But the trouble is, we have this stinking stuff inside called the flesh. And oh my, the flesh loves to get angry. One man, full of flesh, corrected me and said, I do not get angry. I get even. <laughs> what did he need? He needed to meet with God. He needed to meet with God. In our encounters, men and women encounters, and youth and kids encounters, we meet with God. And when we meet with God, He shapes our lives. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 1, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dear children. And the therefore, at the beginning of chapter 5 verse 1, refers to the last verse of chapter 4, which is verse 32. So, he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Meaning, because God has forgiven you, He has brought you into His family, and if you are part of His family, 
then let that family likeness take over. Let the DNA, the blood that runs in this family, let the DNA take control of you. And God says, you are my dear children. That's astonishing. Because it means not only has he forgiven us, but he has adopted us. Not only has he forgiven us, but he has begotten us. We are born into the family of God, which means that we have God's nature in us. And that's good news. Because, you know, whether you believe that it's DNA or environment that makes you what you are, whether it's nature or nurture, somehow, if you know you've got some good DNA in you, God's DNA, you're going to be ready to allow your environment not to determine how you are, but to shape you even more into the love of God. Because that's who you are. Children of God. Praise God. This is so simple. So simple I could give the same lesson to the Sunday school. And how real it is. Imitating God. Now if we are to imitate God, what does this mean? Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that was a stumbling block to me for many years. Because one thing I knew about myself was I was not perfect. And to be perfect as God is perfect, it seemed like an impossibility. And the fact is, the perfection that Jesus is talking about there is not the perfection of sinless perfection. In other words, he's going to despise you, reject you, and a big failure until you become sinlessly perfect. I mean, there are two kinds of people, the sinlessly perfect ones and the nice ones, okay, in this world. The sinlessly perfect people. I met a sinlessly perfect person recently. Haven't met one for a long, long time. And uh, this was a sinlessly perfect person. I am sinless. I said, well, you mean because Jesus has washed you? No, no, no. I am sinless. And I haven't sinned for a long time. And I said, my, that's impressive. You must be very proud of that. And she said smugly, oh yes, very proud. And then she realized the trap that she had fallen into. So this idea of sinless perfect, by the way, let me just say for the record, that's our goal. We know we'll never achieve that till Jesus returns. So by saying that we can never be sinlessly perfect, we must also say we can never be satisfied with where we are. We want more of God and we can never ever tolerate sin. And anyway, but the real point is that is that we are sinless in Him. That's the real point. We are accepted and mature and sinless in Christ because Jesus has fulfilled every requirement. But the word here means rounded, growing, mature, strong. And to be an imitator of God, how would we imitate Him? If God is love, imitation must begin, first of all, with this whole idea of love. And, and, and what is the idea of love? Please, 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 don't get your idea of love from the movies. There was a movie uh, of a number of years ago called Love Actually. Well, I would say, actually, no. <laughs> actually, no. 
This world's idea of love isn't, isn't sufficient. We've got to have our idea of love shaped by the God who is love. And that God who is love has written about it in his book. This book, Old Testament and New Testament, two testaments, one Bible, one God, love. And you say, oh, but that Old Testament kind of God, there's not much love there. Well, God also, the God of love, teaches lessons. And lessons need to be taught bit by bit. But the fullness is seen in Jesus. And he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who abuse you and despitefully use you and so on. Excuse me, I'm just going to pick it up because that will settle it. You see, in the very beginning, there was only one law. Don't eat that fruit, the fruit of that tree. Of all the fruit in the garden, you may freely eat. But not that one, just one. Just one. And of course, they did. And the rest is history. Then after that, there were no laws. Abraham lived without law. He lived by faith. Guided by love. Love of God. And the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And then along came Moses and God said, I want you to so define what righteousness is that every single detail of every waking moment of every day will be governed by one rule or another so that they will realize what it is to be righteous. But they'll never ever do it. They'll never be successful in doing it. But I want to be able to describe, first of all, what that life is. And secondly, how they need to depend on me to live like that. That's all the law was given for. So that sin may be exposed for what it is. And now sin has been removed from us by the grace of Jesus. Why do we want to come under law again? No more law. That's the title of Bruce's book. If you haven't got it, read it. Get it and read it. Because the, this point is almost, well, it's one of the most important points you need to grasp all over the world. Because all over the world, Christians are confusing it. They're bringing us, or want us to come back under law. And the, and, and the principle is not law, but love. We walk by love, not by laws. Amen? We need to be delivered from the law of Moses. And Paul in Romans 7 says, listen, it's like this. A woman is bound to her husband by the law as long as he lives. But if he dies, she is free. She is no longer under the law of marriage to him. That law is dissolved because her husband is dead. But then Paul wants to show how that we have been set free from the law. But he can't kill the law. He can't say, well, the law is dead. Because God's not going to kill his law, is he? 
The law is good. The law is righteous. The law is wonderful because it describes a life of love. But it does not give you power to live that way. It just shows you what you should be doing. So Paul has an ingenious revelation which is okay. If death is the only deliverance and the law cannot die, then guess what? You have died with Christ to the law. And you've died with Christ that you may be raised with Him, that you may be married to somebody else, joined to Christ, so that you may bring forth fruit to God. Hallelujah! What about that says we're still under the law? Not one law of Moses is upon us. We are dead. It's like a policeman going to a dead body buried in the, in the cemetery and saying, you have to pay this parking ticket. <laughs> pay up or else. It has no relevance. Correct? No relevance. That's not to say that the parking ticket is not a serious issue, but it has no relevance. So the law has absolutely no relevance, not in, in whole or in part. But Jesus has every relevance for our lives. And how do we, how do we live for Him? People say when they hear this saying, you are encouraging immorality and sin because you say the law of Moses has no relevance to us as they tuck in to all the prohibited food that Moses quite rightly forbade. Things like, like lobsters and prawns. I'm suddenly very legalistic when people serve me that stuff. Well, I'm actually allergic, but that's another story. So people pick and choose what laws they say we are under. But they say, no, if you say we don't have to keep the law uh, and this has no relevance for us, you're encouraging immorality. You're encouraging disobedience. You're saying you can live as you like because you're not under the law. Wait a bit. You're dead to the law but alive to Christ, joined to Jesus Christ. Now it's not law that tells us what to do, but Jesus himself. It's not law, but the Spirit of God. The standard is not rules and regulations written in Mosaic law. The standard is the personality of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, and our desire to love Him. Amen? And following Jesus means following His will. And it's not about saying we have to guess it. It's all summarized by walking in love, but that's just a principle. And if we applied that principle accurately in every situation, we'd have as much guidance as we would ever need in life. Amen? Jesus said, this is my commandment. To love one another as I have loved you. But when he's saying that, he's saying it's not a new law. He's saying, this is how you live. This is what guides you. And when you talk like that, people say, well, you know, are you telling me that I don't need to read my Bible anymore? I just have to think what love is. Oh, no, 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 no. This tells you what love is. 
This tells you what love is. The Holy Spirit speaks from the pages of this book. You can go over page after page and see what love is. It's described. God's got a whole book about it. Look into this book. Old Testament and New Testament. But when you look at the Old Testament, remember of the things that are fulfilled in Christ. So you read the Old Testament through the eyes of Jesus. And the New Testament is based on that. Over and over again, even Paul correctly uses the law when he says, It is written that you shall not muzzle the ox that treads the corn. Is he talking about farming, agriculture, or animal cruelty? No. He's talking about supporting those in Christian ministry. Where did he get from ox and grain and, uh, to, to Christian ministry? By the revelation of the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament law is giving a principle which Paul, by the Holy Spirit, speaks into a Christian context. And the interpretation of the Old Testament is clear from the New Testament handling of it. And it's joyful. And even more than that, by the Holy Spirit, you yourself can open the Old Testament and be encouraged to find Jesus on every page. And the Holy Spirit Himself will show you Jesus in the Old Testament. And so when you read the book of Jeremiah and, and, and think the book of Jeremiah is going to talk about the judgments and plagues are going to come anybody that sniffs at you wrongly. Oh, the plagues of Jeremiah be upon thee, I say unto thee. What's your authority? And they quote the book of Jeremiah. Oh, woe, 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 more woe, pain, misery, anguish be upon you. Huh? How are they abusing the word of God? Thank God that the God of Jeremiah is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jeremiah is prophesying about Jesus. Jeremiah is talking about the judgment that Jesus himself would carry. Hallelujah. So we can read in Jeremiah the revelation of who Jesus is. Stop abusing your Old Testament scriptures. See them with the eyes of love. Amen and amen. See them with the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And understand that the, we're not living by law, but we're living by love. And that's not just a principle, an idea, or an ideology. And it's a great principle, great ideology. And many people remind us that many religions teach this. Jesus said, do unto others. Do unto others what you have them do to you. Buddha said, don't do others what they don't do to you. I mean, I don't know whoever says what. I mean, but that's kind of a kind of general common principle, isn't it? About helping and caring for one another. Amen? But it's much more than that when it comes to what Jesus says. Because he has demonstrated it. Ephesians 5 verse 2. Walk in love. As Christ has loved us and given himself for us. I mean, it's amazing. He demonstrated it. In fact, the Apostle John is bold enough to say, This is how we know what love is. Oprah Winfrey, listen up. <laughs> we don't take our definitions from you. 
but from Him. This is how we know what love is. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. He loved us when we were unlovable. And for some of us, we're unlovable as well. Amen. I can't blame the Sahara dust on that. I think this is just amazing. I don't know why the whole world doesn't want to say, Come on, Jesus. Come into my life. I don't know how anybody, if there is anybody in this category, under the sound of my voice now, that doesn't yet know Jesus. It isn't on the inside screaming. I want to know Him. He loves the unlovable. He loves you as you are, but He loves you too much to leave you that way. He loves you enough that He would say, despite the fact that you have offended my holy law and have rejected my son and, and part and parcel of the same humanity that crucified him. Nevertheless, know this, that not only is the cross the measure of your sin and rejection of God, but the cross is the measure of his love for you. This is, it's, it's so holy, this is so wonderful that it's, I think it's a sin to call it religion. This is reality. This is God breaking into this world and saying, I want to show you what love is. I love you. And this is not ethereal love, sentimental love. This isn't feeling first love. Jesus had no pleasant feeling in his body when he was suffering on the cross. It is physiological, physiologically, scientifically, and psychologically impossible for Jesus to have had one good feeling in his body. But that was the greatest act of love. The greatest act of love. He was in the most amount of pain that you could ever imagine. Every nerve was raw, shooting painful signals to every part of his central nervous system. So it was not about feelings. It's about something far deeper than that. And neither was this love shown with partiality. You know what I'm not saying? There was no favoritism with this. I mean, there are some people that we find easy to love. And other people, not so easy. Some people are more readily recognized as being lovable, able to be loved, or worthy to be loved. Like Amanda. Well, yes, I mean her as a person, but her name, Amanda, means worthy to be loved. Amen. That's easy. Easy for me, all right? 33 years. Come on. But there are some people who are 
they in, invite that kind of loving attention. They're easy to accept them. They're nice people. They're lovable. Those cute little dogs on crafts, they're lovable. Even the little dog that won the first prize for, as the ugliest dog in the world. Did you see that? Did anybody see that? The ugliest dog in the world. Even he was cute. I wish it could be the same, the same other people who are ugly in other areas. Nothing to do with external beauty. But ugly. This is ugly. Ugly. Bitterness. Wrath. Anger. Clamor. Evil speaking. And malice. Has anybody the whole of their life been able to be completely absent from these things? Probably there's ugly here today. Alright? Is that not right? I've seen ugly in the mirror <laughs> of God's word. But despite that, despite that, he loves us anyway. And you know, his love takes the ugly out of us. Amen. Come here, ugly. Come on, let me take some ugly out of you. Amen. Don't try that in your counseling sessions, okay. <laughs> this is love. He loves us as we are. It's unconditional love. That wasn't emotion, that was dust. But it did sound. It was quite good, wasn't it? Remind me to get a more, bit more dust when I want to make an emotional point. Oh, it's so good to be home. Because out there they wouldn't understand me if I was preaching like this. I'd have to be very... We're looking at the book of Ephesians, gentlemen. But you know me. This, you're my family. This is... You have me every week, so I don't have to always behave so well. <laughs> don't have to be so formal but what I'm really as you can obviously see enjoying thinking about and talking about is God's love because it it takes my misery my brokenness my ugliness and says come I'm gonna carry all that and exchange for that for the ashes I'm going to give you beauty. And so when we start walking with God and He invites us to go to His garden to talk to Him, it's not to chastise us. It's not to hurt us or to hate us or to condemn us. It's to transform us. To work deep in the deepest needs and longings of our heart. Those longings which are so deep that they actually talk about, they refer to the very reason that God made us. To be in loving relationship with Him. To be in His presence. You are never more fulfilled as a human being than when you're full of God and you're communing with Him in the secret place. The profound longings of the human heart. His presence brings inner healing and wholeness. 
It reveals God's grace. He loves us as we are and taken care of our sin. Takes away our sin, takes away our shame. But doesn't just leave us like that, but works in us his wonderful, wonderful character of love. And we are growing in love. So imitating God means imitating Jesus, but not imitating him externally. It's like having an internal Jesus, a Jesus on the inside. Do you get me? Because the Holy Spirit's on the inside. So it's not just about copying actions. It's about being molded from the inside out. This is Christian life and living. And actually, there's nothing more to it than that. Except maybe helping one another and encouraging one another. And building one another up. And confronting one another. I love friendship. Do you love friendship? Have you, has anybody got a good friend? Don't lift your hand in case you offend somebody. Anybody got a good friend here? Okay. A good friend. A Bible friend. Bible good friend. Definition of a Bible good friend. There is a friend that what? Sticks closer than a brother. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. But there's another good friend verse. Do you like that one as well? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Put the two together. Somebody that's wounding you is not faithful unless they're sticking closer like a brother. But if somebody sticks closer than a brother is not really your friend unless they're prepared to wound you. There's a pastor I know, an American pastor. I wish I could try and do this accent, but I won't. I've already embarrassed you, not myself, of course. Embarrassed you enough with my Australian accent. I could change the story and make him French, couldn't I? But I would never change a story just for effect, would I? Okay. But he's an American. And when there's a situation that he sees in the life of one of his colleagues, he sits them down and says, Permission to wound you, brother? <laughs> Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Your best friend that might stick with you through thick or thin is not your friend unless that friend out of friendship will also say, hey, something has to change. If your best friend won't tell you, then your best friend's not your best friend. But the Holy Spirit is our best friend. And when we're in the presence of God, He will speak the truth without sentiment, without fear or favor. He will tell you the truth. God will speak the truth to you. The truth in its purest form is only found in the Word of God. And so walking in love means opening our heart and saying, God, search me. See if there's any anxious or offensive way in me and lead me 
in life, in the way of life everlasting. When this nature of Jesus is reproduced in us and deeply rooted in us, then the fruit of the Spirit begins to flow. And what is the first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Say no more. Okay, Paul, carry on. But anything you say next is only going to be an explanation of love. Amen? Love is this guiding principle which is re revealed in Jesus, which is existent within us. And when we have begun to allow this love to shape us, we find that in this garden there is room not just for Jesus, but for other people. You are in this place of rest. And you can invite other people into your garden of intimacy with Jesus. In fact, everything that flows out of this by way of effective ministry is the result of fellowship with Jesus in the first place. Amen. And that's why we need to Hear the voice of God and the sound of God walking in the cool of the God in the day, inviting us to come and fellowship with Him and enjoy His presence because in that place of quietness and stillness, in the, in the inner garden of your soul, the depth of your spirit, the holy of holies of your personality, you find there's room for other people. There's room not just for the people closest to you. You invite all those whom God loves to have a place in your heart and in your soul. This is the kind of love that we experience when we walk with Him. Let's pray. I believe the people here today who just simply want to say to Jesus, I've never understood this before, Jesus, but I want you. I want you in my life. I've never known you like this, and I want you. I want you to be in my life. I want to to invite you in. Just as it says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Fellowship. Your garden is empty because you've never invited him to come in. If that's you today, I want us to pray together. Here's a prayer I want to pray. I want you to pray it after me, but you pray it in the quietness of your heart. Would you do that? I'll pray and pause and give you a chance to echo those words in your heart. But everywhere, right now, let's be clear. This is inviting Jesus into your life. Here in this main auditorium, across the road, in the coronet, everywhere, on the internet, anybody that's hearing me. It's my invitation to you on behalf of Jesus that you invite him to come into your life. You will never be the same again, I tell you. You will never know such love as this that you will experience when you let him in.
Every head bowed, every eye closed. This is the prayer I want you to echo in your heart to invite Jesus in. Lord Jesus, I never understood that you were waiting for me to open the door of my heart, the gate of my garden, and invite you in. But with all of my heart, I want you in. I want you to be my Savior, my friend, my Lord, my brother, my lover. I want you. So I open the door of my heart and say, Jesus, welcome. Come in. I want to get to know you. I want to learn from your love how to love you and those around me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for making it real. Thank you for coming in. Amen. Keep every head bowed, every eye closed. We have people who are willing just to hand you something to help you with this decision if you've made this decision. We call them consolidators. It just means they're here to give you something and help you. If you prayed that prayer and you want to acknowledge that and to say, yes, I have accepted Jesus Christ, I want you to lift your hand right where you're sitting and somebody will come and stand with you right now. No pressure, just the working and moving of the Holy Spirit. That tug on your heart saying, yes, yes, Jesus, yes. If that's you, lift your hand high right now. While every head is, thank you at the back. God bless you. Lift your hand high. There are several others here, I know it. Don't be ashamed, don't be shy. Lift your hand and say, yes, I've prayed that prayer. I want Jesus in my life. Quickly now, quickly now. You hear the sound of the Lord God walking in your garden, inviting you to fellowship with him. Lift your hand right now. God bless you. Downstairs in the low hall overflow. Behind me, I can't see you, but the people there look after you over the road in the coronet. Father, I pray for every single person who's lifted their hand and invited you in. Be there with them, for them. Make it real. Make it full of joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. Give Jesus a mighty praise. Amen.